Let's go into these to, uh, this a little bit more. So he said, um, love, uh, although it's undefinable as a concept, um, we can uh, say at least that it, it needs to include meta, or it does include meta and eros. So let's take the meta first. Now I've talked, and in the Dharma, of course, we talk a lot about meta, so I don't want to dwell too much on that aspect, but just say a few things about the meta um, uh, dimension of love. Uh, meta kind of love. Uh, a couple of obvious things. Um, firstly, is that meta is not just a feeling. Um, it's an intention. Uh, and uh, that's one thing. Um, I, in others, we intend to wish well uh, rather than I feel a certain feeling to someone. So that's one thing. Now, I've talked a lot about that. It, people talk a lot about that. So I don't want to emphasize that don't want to dwell too much on that here. Second obvious thing is it needs action. In other words, again, it's not just a feeling. Um, I'm sitting on my cushion and with my heart um, feeling juicy and moved and rich because of the feeling of metta and love, uh, very radiant and expansive. Um, it needs action. So it's a it can be a feeling, but it needs to translate in our lives in, in, in acts of kindness and care and compassion. Yeah, that's the second obvious thing, and, and people who've been around the Dharma will, will have heard that before. Not just a feeling, and um, and it needs action. It's not just a meditative experience. Um, third obvious thing is that metta tends to spread out um, because of the um, um, because what's included in the definition of metta is universality and un unconditionality, um, it will spread out to all beings. In a way, when we do the go through the one traditional way of doing metta, go through the categories, self, benefactor, friend, neutral person, difficult, all beings, basically what you're really doing is gradually spreading it out, spreading the metta out until ev everyone, and maybe everything, is included. Um, so you're just making it easier to get to that ideal of universality. Um, break, breaking up into stages in the practice. Okay, so those are some obvious things about metta. Uh, important, really important, but obviously we tend to spread out and become universal. Um, less obvious uh, about metta, um, and, and probably not really um, uh, realized unless one has done, say, a long metta retreat and, and learned to work quite skillfully with the metta, um, is that meta tends to uh, tends towards a sense of oneness and equality of certainly self and other, but um, actually of all things, of all others. So self, other, world tend towards as you get deeper and deeper into meta, more more oneness and equality. What meta is actually doing is fabricating less perception. And it's, this is not obvious unless you've really um, done a lot of meta practice, learned to work with it skillfully, and learned actually to understand something about meditation and fabrication of perception. But deep meta practice, uh, as it gets deeper, it fabricates less and less and less as the meta gets deeper. And it tends towards an unfabricating of perception. Now, as it goes through that, uh, meditatively, for a meditator sort of doing dedicated metta practice um, deeper and deeper, the view, or the, again the perception, um, of uh, self, other, world, nature, etc., um, goes through a range with that um, uh, 
decreasing fabrication that comes organically from, from deepening metta practice. That range is actually um, predictable, believe it or not. In other words, I can have someone on long-term retreat doing metta and um, learning to work with it well and and guarantee that at a certain time in that process, certain perceptions, certain experiences will open up for them. Um, kinds of oneness will open up. What, firstly, the, the sense of me and this other begins to, to become one, that the heart's essences begin to fuse in kind of one radiant heart. That's very typical. Um, but even more than that, and what I want to emphasize right now, is um, then uh, a wider perception of metta uh, will open up at some point. This is all quite predictable. Um, everything is held in a kind of cosmic love and compassion a universal love and compassion. Everything's taking place in that. Um, uh, and then even more than that, as that deepens, all is love. The fabric of everything is metta or is compassion. Um, these are, as I said, predictable and um, common for people who do, uh, say, really dedicated um, meta practice, get deeper and deeper. Rarer is for someone to go even beyond that with the meta practice, because you have to actually, again, understand something and, and um, tweak it a little, a little bit. But meta can actually go beyond that even, into even less fabrication and towards the unfabricated. But um, but there's a movement here. There's a range, and 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 as it deepens, and we could say there's kind of certain typical uh, pit stop areas, if you like, of, 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 of the way that the perception of you opens up and, and very beautiful and very touching and um, very important um, to have those openings, those mystical openings of perceptions. But they're characterized by um, being universal um, uh, and also being predictable, as I said, um, there's a limited number of them, if you like, that, that are characteristic uh, on that range. One of the things about all that, um, in, in that sort of spectrum of deepening meta practice and the perceptions that arise from it, um, is that sometimes what I see is a person can go through all that, feel very touched by it all, deeply, profoundly touched, and yet no engagement or activism comes out of it for them. They don't uh, uh, become, quote, engaged Buddhists or, um, uh, or, or really seem to engage much with the whole um, pr- predicament of our environmental crises and climate change. So all this, like, um, everything is love. All universe, all the trees and the grass and the sky, it's all love. It's all one, no separation. Somehow there's not there's not the kind of care that comes out of that that in, that results in 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 activism and engagement. So that's really interesting to me. It's really interesting. And uh, again, I don't want to dwell too much on the meta um, aspect of things, uh, of the meta kind of love in this talk. But um, but I said, why is it sometimes not enough? Persons had this wonderful mystical openings uh, and even getting established as something that's quite regular in their life and yet you know, somehow something's not coming out of it in relation to the, the crises that we face in the natural world with, the, with regard to the natural world. Why is that? Actually there's, there's probably a 
lot involved there. But it may be, I just wonder, whether something, because we're talking about a sense of the infinite, this infinite love and, and the universality of it, it may be that the, the particular manifest, one feels then in that, in that view, in that sense that opens up, that mystical sense, that the particular manifestations, whether it's this person or that person, or even myself, or that forest, or, 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 or whatever, the particular manifestations can be lost from the infinite. Without the dimin- without any diminishment, diminishing of the infinite, was characteristic of infinity. You can subtract things from infinity and you still get infinity. Something in the infinity and the universality of the experience means that particular manifestations can be lost from the infinite without diminishing the infinite. So it's okay. The whole thing, that whole movement, that spectrum of deepening matter actually moves towards equanimity. Again, people don't always realize this, but deepening matter moves towards deep equanimity. And equanimity is characterized by coolness, by not being perturbed, Buddha uses the word imperturbable, not being disturbed by gain and loss and those kind of things. So there's something in this very beautiful mystical movement and mystical opening of perception that sometimes um, can kind of have a cooling effect on the activism and the engagement, sometimes. Only to say that that kind of opening in perception, um, beautiful it is, and I think important as it is for the for the being and the, and the, and the sense of existence, um, sometimes is not enough to uh, support and stimulate um, engagement activism in regard to um, the natural world. Okay, so there's meta, and then the, uh, so we're just just touching on that, but but. What I want to emphasize more in this talk is the eros strand or, 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 or kind of, of love, that aspect of love. So recall this definition that I was starting with, which may have sounded a little strange or unusual, a little kind of, um, may have sounded unerotic, actually. <laughs> um, eros as the desire to connect. Um, eros is this desire to connect. Let's add one more piece to that definition. Because, um, as uh, uh, some ancient Greeks pointed out, always with eros there is pothos. That's another Greek word, P-O-T-H-O-S. And this pothos within, so to speak, the eros, this pothos, what's characteristic of pothos is it always wants more, more, more. What's beyond? What's next? So that we can expand the definition of eros to the desire to connect more. The wanting, the urge, the intention to connect more. Now, that, uh, this pothos aspect of eros, this wanting more connection, creates uh, or instigates um, a, a dynamic um, and this is what I really want to emphasize. It instigates a dynamic of the opening of the perception of the view of uh, the erotic object, the other that I love or I'm attracted to, or in this case, nature. Uh, it instigates a dynamic of opening up <coughs> our perception, our view, which again means idea and sense of 
um, nature in this case in a in a in a different way. In other words, it will it will keep wanting to open up our perception, our sense, our view of nature in different ways. So it um, opens up <coughs> and enriches the sense of the other that I uh, feel this erotic charge with, the other there's this erotic connection, in this case nature. It opens up and enriches um, the sense of nature, adds dimensions to it, um, uh, deepens it, infuses it with image and fantasy. This is what I want to call, um, it gives it a vertical sense. Other dimensions come in to our um, sense our perception and our idea of the erotic object in, of, of the other of nature. Because of this pothos within the eros, because of what eros involves, it starts involving um, more of the psyche and the imagination, and that changes the perception. So when we define uh, eros as, and when we see this is what's happening in an erotic. Um, when there is eros in relation to anything, is uh, when, when the, this this want this desire to connect more. Um, then it's like the eros. We could say, if we if we um, flesh out what that means, we could say it wants to push through and beyond boundaries. So it manifests in a movement or a desire to penetrate more what it loves, um, uh, its object. Eros desires, uh, manifests as a movement of desire to penetrate more, more deeply, more fully, uh, if we use the words, quote, archetypally masculine in inverted commas, the words, you know, implying a kind of phallic thrust, to penetrate more, more deeply, more fully. This wanting to push through and beyond boundaries, penetrating more deeply, or if we <coughs> voice it in a more archetypally, quote, feminine way, um, to uh, it, the eros, this, this desire uh, to connect more, will manifest as a movement and desire to receive, embrace, open more and deeper. So both, both the penetration deeper and fuller, the opening more and deeper and fuller. Both of them. <coughs> Um, if you like more masculine, if you like more feminine. So eros in 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 relationship with nature, um, or we talk about an erotic connection with nature. I'm not just talking about sensual, um, you know, enjoying uh, the, the 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 waves lapping on my feet, or the warm sun on my skin, or the, not not just talking about sensual nature, enjoying food and all that. Um, Including that, of course, but not just that, because that's one um, level of connection, one level of perception and experience, but not just that. Emphasis on not just. Because of, of what Eros is, it will keep insisting on expanding its objects, in expanding what nature is and what it means and how we uh, perceive and feel it, the conceptions of nature, that it I images and fantasies of nature, the meanings and meaningfulness of earth and nature, the experience of nature, the experiences of nature, the sense, perception, appearance, view, all that gets, um, Eros insists on expanding it over time. 
So it opens depths and dimensions for the psyche, for the soul. Um, it involves psyche and soul more and more. Uh, it opens these depths and dimensions for the psyche and soul of, of view, of conception, of sense, of perception, of experience, of um, any other that it's involved with, the eros. Um, in this case, of the perception, view, sense, conception, experience of nature. So it won't be confinable, our uh, um, sense of nature, our view of nature, um, and our eros in regard to nature won't be confinable for, for very long. People, this, this process happens at different rates for different reasons, I won't go into all that. But it won't be confinable um, indefinitely, let's say, to for instance, enjoying the moment's touch of the breeze on the cheek and the colours of the flowers and the colours of the sky. So our love of nature won't be confinable because of this dynamic of eros. won't be confinable either to a wonder or wonderment and appreciation of the intricate interconnectedness of the web of life. All, all that can be there, absolutely, but, but it cannot stay at that, if, if the Eros is allowed to penetrate and open more and, and insist more um, on, 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 on its dynamic and fertilize, it will continue to seek to grow um, uh, more connection, to have more connection, to expand um, and deepen and enrich and, and uh, give more and more kinds of connection. So it, it swells and stretches something more, growing, expanding the experience and the knowing of nature, the experience and the knowing of nature, both in um, penetrating and in opening, in opening up uh, a breadth of, of what we love and embrace, and also the, so these other dimensions, the height, the depth of what I'm calling verticality. When we really this by verticality is the perception of dimensions beyond the so-called purely sensual or the purely material in the way that we usually think about it. There's other dimensions um, and perceptions begin to infuse what we love, what we have an erotic connection with. So um, eros involves, again that word involves, turns with, draws in, to turn with, to mix with, to inseminate and, 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 and create together, to give birth to. Um, but it involves um, more and more of the psyche, the soul and the being. And it infuses both the psyche and the uh, other, the erotic object, in this case nature, earth, um, it infuses them. Those are not separate, actually, by the way, ultimately speaking, the psyche and the object. Um, so this is you know, one inseparable thing that we're talking about. But it infuses them or inseminates or fertilizes them um, with, with this um, more, other dimensions, perceptions of dimensions beyond, let's say, the purely sensual, purely beyond an anywhere where it is, uh, where it has arrived at. This is particularly what I mean by the vertical dimensions of perception beyond the purely sensual, purely material. I'll, I'll give examples to expand what I mean. But included in all that, in this kind of um, infusion 
um, an impregnation, if you like, of the psyche, but also of the object, of the um, imaginal other, um, of, the, of the erotic other. It infuses, it includes um, the uh, experience, as I said, of the other um, it, with imagi- uh, the imagi- imaginal sense of the other, the perceived sense of the other, and also the idea, the conceptual framework. So, it's not just the psyche, so to speak, as, as, as uh, it's also the logos, if we want to use another Greek word, the conceptual framework, the idea. Again, whether um, conscious or unconscious, verbal or not, whether thought or not, consciously thought or not, logos um, really means all that. When I use the word conceiving, I really mean all that. Um, but these these two, psyche and logos, are drawn in and involved and expanded um, in uh, by this dynamic of eros, in and with with eros. So let, let's explore a little bit what what, what I mean here, uh, what I'm getting at. This opening up of the um, sense, uh, the, the the view, meaning the sense and the idea, the conception of of the other, of nature, of earth. It can happen in a range of ways. This opening up that I'm talking about that happens through through the erotic uh, dimension um, can happen in a range of ways. A- actually, in a number of ranges of ways. So, um, talked about the universal way that meta opens things up. It can also open up in a more a way that's more retaining of particulars doesn't tend to dissolve things in dissolve particulars in in a universal sense there's really a range there's a spectrum of how much sense of how much things dissolve in the universal and how much the particularity is is uh, retained in this um, opening up and adding of other dimensions to the perception so that's one range another range is just how sort of obvious or subtle is the manifestation of this. Because some manifestations of this deepening and enriching and sort of complicating of what we love um, through the Eros, some manifestations are so subtle that um, we may not recognize them. You may not recognize them in your own experience. Um, or it, it kind of may get lost from, from what I'm saying. Uh, lost, you can't find it. Uh, can't understand what I'm saying. Sometimes they're so subtle. There's a range there from very obvious um, to very, very subtle. Let's let's go into it a little bit. Um, maybe um, there's just uh, a vague um, perception or intuition or, or sense. And really that's a key word, sense. That's a, a, the word embodies or encapsulates a lot. So I'm not talking here about just ideas, um, ideas that are kind of just intellectual, divorced from experience. I'm talking about things opening up um, that uh, uh, are sense, sensed, perceptions, palpable, uh, and opening up uh, as sense perceptions um, in a way that affect us, affect us, that have an effect on our heart and on our life. But maybe the kind of opening that happens is just kind of vague, a vague perception, sense, intuition that nature or materiality is somehow more than just material in the modernist sense. Little bits of atoms 
meaningless and moving randomly and just sort of solid little billiard balls. And that's all there is that's real. So maybe it's just a vague sense that nature or materiality is more than just material in the modernist sense. Maybe, as, as I described, um, there's, uh, in relation to meta, there's a kind of universal sense of universal oneness of love or in love. Everything is in or is love. Uh, it can open up, as I described. That can also happen in relation to awareness. Everything is in awareness or is awareness. These are very, very common openings for people who, who are dedicated to meditation. Um, often with those kind of openings with a person who has described on the meta retreat a person who has this cosmic love holding everything often at that point a person who has never ever um, used languages uh, or, or a theistic language of the divine or God will start using it this, this seems it just seems the most natural thing in the world and most obvious thing and the, it's almost like there's, there's, this is what we're talking about um, so very, very common, even for a person who says, never used that, shied away, or not, not even uh, liked much that, that kind of language, or been suspicious of it. Very common at that point in the opening of the um, meditative perception experience, at that point that people often ta- start talking theistically. Um, but it may be that nature... And things, all things are imbued with, uh, there's a sense of them they're being imbued with or uh, reflecting or expressing the divine in, in other ways, not just this universal love or emptiness, in all kinds of other ways. So maybe, I mean, again, uh, an example, maybe even, for instance, for some uh, perhaps theoretical physicists, um, the mathematical, physical laws that govern matter and particularly the, um, the the elegance of these laws, the, the beauty, the mathematical beauty, their economy, their symmetry, um, this somehow, uh, well, it actually is another level than the matter itself. Uh, the, the laws are not the matter, the laws are, are another level. And that is another level, another dimension of, of the matter, if you like. And that, for, for some theoretical, is that is somehow, somehow an expression uh, for them of the divine of divinity. Uh, maybe, and often it's the case, that the divine, uh, the sacred, um, uh, is there as a sense, as a perception, as, a, as, a, as an idea. It's, it's very vague in the sense of not really even knowing what that means. There isn't uh, a formed um, conceptual framework or definition for divinity or sacredness. But somehow there's a sense of, of, of the sacredness of of earth, of nature, in this case. There's somehow the sense it's not uh, just a kind of one-dimensional um, reality or existence. There's, there's more dimensions to the sense and the perception. Somehow there's the sense that the, the kind of meaningless mechanisms of biology chemistry aren't all there is to nature and to matter. They are not all that we can um, know and feel and sense. There's something vague as it is and undefined as it is, a sense of divinity or sacredness, there's something that's gone beyond the typical view of of modernism in in, in how it views um, matter and nature and the cosmos. 
So what's characteristic here to all of this is this, these dimensions of, of existence, if you like, really dimensions of perception that open up. As we said, that there's various, there's all kinds of possibilities, infinite really. Meta uh, has the characteristic of opening up a certain series, kind of as a predictable and um, in a way limited number of a, a, a series, of a, of a range of openings up of these dimensions of perception of sacredness, of divinity, um, but characteristic of a deepening erotic relationship with any other, whether it's a lover or wife or, uh, or nature or whatever it is, um, characteristic of a deepening erotic relationship is that it um, involves image and fantasy in the perception more and more. Eros and psyche, if you like, and by psyche I'm really emphasizing the imaginal dimension of our beings, the capacity for to perceive imaginally. Eros and psyche start to involve again, again that that word um, to to turn with, to to um, to, to turn around and mix with. Um, start to involve and fertilize and impregnate and stretch and expand and nourish and enrich each other. So the Eros, um, this dynamic of Eros kind of starts to complicate um, the object that it loves. It's unlike Meta, which tends to simplify. I erase all perception of differences um, uh, between people, like and dislike, and and um, e- e- everything goes towards universality and simplicity and oneness. Meta tends to simplify and dissolve particularities. It tends to unfabricate, moves towards the unfabrication, the unfabricated towards unfabricating. Eros, on the other hand, complicates and fabricates um, what it's connected to, its its um, object. And to complicate and fabricate more in the perception of nature. And, and, and involved in that is, is more and more image and fantasy in the perception. Now still, with the Eros, it may still be vague. There may be a vague imaginal sense um, that, that can still be part of the Eros as well, or, or what the Eros opens up uh, in the perception. Or it may be, to some degree or another, more specific this body, the, the body of myself or the body of another, is the Buddha. One may perceive that, one may train in that perception. Or sense, or train in, in the sense, the perception that all, everything, all the world, all of nature, the cosmos is is Buddha nature. It is Buddha nature. It's the expression, if you like, of the, the mandala of the Dharmakaya the primordial Buddha nature. So these were very sort of classic tantric ways that the perception opens up and, and can be trained. Or it may be that this body or the body of another is perceived, is sensed as as angelic, as angel, and as well as, or rather in and through the, the, the human, the angel uh, comes through in and through the human. The angelic comes through in and through the, the personal, the human, the material. And using angel and angelic, and not just as a metaphor, we're such an angel. Um, I, don't, I don't just mean a sort of stand-in word for 
um, something else. Such a nice guy. Um, more than metaphor, something uh, deep and profound and moving and other. Another dimension is infusing the, 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 the perception, the sense, the idea, the knowing of this thing. And it's retaining the particulars of the, the human and the material and the manifestation rather than dissolving them. But it may be, or again, it may be similar to that, that, that this person um, or this thing uh, or, or even the whole of nature or a specific tree or a river it's a, is a specific theophany, a specific expression of God, a face of God, a, a showing or an appearance of the divine. That's what that word theophany means. All kinds of possibilities here. Maybe, as, as I alluded to earlier, it's through a skillful um, use in meditation of the imaginal sexual erotic, through practicing that skillfully, that the divinity of another um, uh, is sensed more and more deeply and richly and beautifully. And that divinity um, of the other that is perceived, that starts to spread, um, spread to the environment um, and to the, to the cosmos, in fact. Um, in a very uh, specific way, uh, as characteristic of what what was infusing the sense of the divinity, and characteristic of of that um, other that, I, that w- with which there was the erotic, imaginal, sexual uh, meditative practice. And then there's perhaps a very specific, and to use a certain language, very specific perception of the world soul pervading. Um, uh, nature pervading matter, all kinds of possibilities here. I mean, could could just go on endlessly, almost. Um, but what's uh, characteristic here is uh, the the um, penetrating beyond a one-dimensional, the opening up um, beyond a one-dimensionality of perception opening up of a multiplicity of dimensions, sensed or intuited, perceived, um, discovered or created in the perception of, of the other, uh, the erotic other, or the, or in this case, nature. So on the one hand, with all of this, um, and what I'm talking about, this, these kind of openings, there's the, the opening up beyond one dimensionality, the opening up of other dimensions in the perception. On the other hand, um, those dimensions are not separate, so we're not. There is not in this kind of opening a separation of divinity and matter, or there is not a denigration of matter in relation to something transcendent and divine, because that would be another extreme. Either it's one-dimensional, or there's this kind of divide between um, what's divine and what's just matter. So characteristic of the kind of openings that I'm talking about, the kind of deepenings I'm talking about um, uh, in the direction of the sacred, of the sacred sense, um, through, uh, through both meta, but particularly eros now, um, is, is this not one-dimensional, opening up dimensions and not the separating of those dimensions. So in and through and with, infused in... The alchemical, the Western alchemical tradition, they talk about the alchemical task being the uh, spiritualization of matter and the materialization of spirit. 
the spiritualization of matter and the materialization of spirit. Now, of course, that was um, interpreted and, and explored and, and um, practiced in different ways. Um, but what I want to say here is that spiritualization of matter and materialization of spirit is possible through perception, through opening our perception. And that's uh, something we can practice. That is, in fact, what I would say practice is. Spiritualization of matter, materialization of spirit is that our chemical task is possible through perception, in and through perception, as, as a practice, as a training of perception. And like I said earlier, um, some some of the manifestations, this kind of opening of these dimensions and in the perception, the sense of nature, are very, very subtle. Um, so, for example, the Rupert the Garden coordinator was telling me a little while ago he he um, he needed to get some harvesting done very quickly for some reason um, in the garden at Guy House. And so he put up a note and asked anyone who wanted uh, to help for an afternoon and it so happened that I think, <laughs> I think, um, mostly who came were, were women. Um, and he showed them what to do, and they were in, in silence because they were on retreat, and kneeling together and harvesting, I don't remember what they were harvesting. Um, and he was there with them, um, also harvesting, and, and then just looking around him and seeing these women kneeling on the earth and harvesting the fruits of the earth, um, and it's so beautiful, something in that sense, and how um, traditional, also, it's the tradition of actually women kneeling on the earth and harvesting, hands touching, um, knees touching the earth together, and the community of that, the connection of that with the earth, the tradition um, uh, through history, into prehistory even, of, of that. So there's very subtle, there's another dimension. Um, there's actually an imaginal and fantasy dimension that begin to that, that was infusing his perception at that moment, giving it beauty. Um, so in this case, um, of, of the nature and of humans and also of tradition. Tradition is, uh, a sense of tradition is often a part of the imaginal, just as a side point. Um, the, the imaginal infusion in perception often amplifies time. It can also give a sense of eternality, often does give a sense of eternality, but also amplifies something about time and tradition and the place of the self now in time and as part of a trajectory of tradition. That's quite a subtle example of this kind of um, enriching, complicating, fabricating and adding of other dimensions to the perception. Uh, another example, um, um, a friend told me, I, I, um, I asked her the questions I asked you at the beginning, and she, and she hummed and hawed, and as, as I expect anyone would, um, and then she, then she related something that she'd heard George Monbiot, um, say, say in a talk once, and, uh, something, I, I don't quite know the details, it's something to do with the fact that elephants used to roam, um, in this, part of the world and then were made extinct and etc and, and, and driven south but elephants used to roam and so be part of the dynamics or the mechanisms of evolution 
of 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 lots of things, but of, of actually of certain trees um, and the way that they were able to grow in certain ways in response to the evolutionary pressure of of these elephants sort of um, moving around, tramping around, and eating what they like to eat. Um, so there was something about that he was explaining um, that's uh, a, a result now that we see in our in our environment of certain trees able to grow in certain ways that actually, surprisingly, is a result of elephants being around, you know, millennia ago. Um, now, that um, explanation or, or what it is, a- anecdote or fact, um, uh, could could be heard in a couple of ways. So one could hear and appreciate, going back to the very beginning, hear and appreciate the intricacies and the complexities of the dynamics of evolution over vast timescales, just like, wow, all that working together, all these different forces. But but one can almost hear it and have a sense, an idea of of that um, as something purely material. There's a kind of very complex machine of different evolutionary forces, biological forces going on, this complex machine, different parts impacting different other parts. And out of that, you sort of get the evolution of this or that and the dying away of this or that and the survival of the fittest and all all that um, more complex ideas of evolution. But basically it's a kind of um, mechanistic understanding, incredibly intricate and complicated, vast timescales, and and involving a lot, you know, including a lot in that, including the totality of the ecosystems. So one can hear it that way, kind of purely material, mechanistic, or imbued with image and fantasy. Because when I asked my, my friend about this, she, she answered that something in that um, relation about the elephants and the evolution of certain trees, um, when she heard that, uh, it invoked in her, it made present in the here and now perception an imaginal sense of nature, in the very sense perception of nature here and now, she was looking at the trees around her, it made present, invoked those elephants and their movement somehow. It was almost like they were very subtly at the back of, of the perception. They were infusing the perception. And particularly, and she said, a sense of wildness and majesty. Both of which, wildness and majesty, are kind of um, imaginal words, fantasy words. There's something in this that the biological had um, kind of uh, got amplified and enriched and extended itself into the imaginal and and the fantastical. The the imaginal fantasy had had sort of infused this. So the whole thing, uh, the sense as she looked around her at the trees around her in that moment um, was alive um, had in in a different way than a purely mechanistic way. had a kind of um, mechanistically biological way. It had a kind of multi-dimensionality. It was subtle, very subtle. Subtle infusion, but strong nevertheless. Subtle but strong. Now, actually, that was the second time I asked her that uh, those difficult questions that I asked you at the beginning and, and, and sort of probed a little bit in, into that with her. The first time, she gave a different answer. She said that, um, that uh, what she had heard... Um, is like she had a sense of the trees fighting back against the elephants, like they have characters, she said, and like they are warriors fighting back, and I too am a warrior fighting back. Um, and so 
that sense of things was infusing her sense of nature and the whole relationship with nature. I am a warrior fighting for nature. This person is very engaged in, uh, in environmental activism and dharma. Um, less, that's much less subtle than the first one. It's much more obvious that that is infused with image and fantasy. So it can be very subtle, relatively unsubtle, very, very obvious. Um, one yogi who often looks after the plants at Guy House was saying to, uh, I think it was the garden coordinator again, says, uh, saying, listen to this plant, listen to this plant. And he was touched and, and struck by by uh, her language and the way she was relating to the plant. It's like it opened, again for some for him, this, this sense of, Another dimension of perception, and another dimension of beauty, in fact, and that this all has something to do with dimensions of beauty that are perceivable. But for him, her um, sharing with him that way of relating opened up this um, this, this sense of, of the beauty of other dimensions, this perception of other levels of dimensions other than purely. Um, modernist idea of materiality. So again, that's um, a more obvious um, example or instance of the kind of thing that I'm talking about. So, Eros involves or ignites image and fantasy in the perception, in the sense of the other that it loves of its object, and in this case of nature. We could say it activates image fantasy, activates the archetypal. And because of what we said it always wants more, the pothos in the eros, when it attains a certain degree or level or kind of connection, it will enjoy that for a while, and then it will want more, more. And in this way it opens both the psyche and the sense of the object, and those two are not really separable. So in this wanting more, it opens more the psyche and the object. Now this is what Eros does. It's just what it does. It's how it works. Or at least is my theory that it's what it does. Um, it's what Eros does if it is not hindered, either by clinging to a certain image, or clinging to a certain idea, a certain logos, a certain con- conceptual framework, so that it cannot push and expand. And it's just simply what Eros does um, in relation to anything. So including a lover, including the Dharma. If the Dharma is something we love and we have it so-called, if we have, so to speak, an erotic relationship with the Dharma, we'll do the same thing to our understanding, our conception, our image of what the Dharma is. We'll keep opening it. So it does this in relation to anything it has an erotic relationship with. It will do it with the very sense of what connection is and means. What does it mean to connect? Obviously you can connect sexually, physically, um, but the dimensions of connection are being open. The meaning of the very word connection. And so what's involved in, in the very desire of Eros starts to uh, open up through the dynamic in the Eros itself. Even the idea of Eros itself gets opened up through the dynamic of Eros, through this pushing, this pothos within the Eros. So any definition, even a definition of the Eros, is a boundary. A definition is a boundary, is a limit. It forms a limit. And um, because 
eros pushes through and expands, it will push through even that definition of itself, that boundary, that limit. It, it will expand or push through that. Expand that definition or push through it to, to other levels of definition, other possibilities. And hence, eros is undefinable because it's divine, and, or it's, it's, it's infinite in that sense. There's no end because of the pothos in it. So eros, psyche, logos, they mutually inform and influence each other. They, they grow mutually together. They fertilize and inseminate and impregnate each other, if you like. Um, ad infinitum, endlessly, or rather, potentially, that is en- endless. So where there's this eros, um, it wants to um, uh, connect more. And in that wanting to connect more, it discovers or creates more of the object by fertilizing the psyche, the imaginal, and the sense perception. And then I, uh, in, in that, then um, it connects with and experiences. I see and experience and sense um, if you like, a larger, an expanded object, an expanded other that I love, an expanded sense of earth nature. And because that sense, now I said, well, maybe it's got this divine, I sense intuitively this divine level, and then my logos has to expand with that. Because if I just say, oh, divine is silly, that's silly. We know, we know now because we're, uh, because we're modernists. We know that there's no such thing as the divine then my Logos has no room for that expansion. And so it hinders the whole movement. But if there is either enough force or, 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 or um, uh, I'm not too rigid, either in the image or the Logos, that I'm clinging either to a, a certain image or a certain Logos of nature, then the Logos has to expand as well. And then in, in meeting a different object, encountering and discovering these other richer dimensions of what I love, in this case, earth, nature, whatever, um, in meeting that, there's more eros. I'm, I'm, there's more to be enthralled by and in love with and connect with, and, and more desire of the eros there. And the more desire um, pushes again, expands, penetrates further, other dimensions open up. Both, both breadth and the vertical depth. And the logos has to expand again. So there's this infinite possibility of um, informing, influencing, enriching, complicating, insemination, fertilization, impregnation, growing together, expansion, all that. Nourishment. Enrichment is a good word. Uh, richness and, and um, uh, beauty uh, and kinds of beauty are expanded. There is a multi-dimensionality that comes in of uh, to to the sense of the other, in this case of nature, not just material in the modernist sense. Buddhists often uh, talk about interconnectedness. There's a lot of talk and emphasis, and and also um, in 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 engaged Buddhism about interconnectedness. But often um, the, the idea and the sense of interconnectedness is, is actually not um, vertical. It's horizontal interconnectedness that's being um, talked about or put forward as, as, a, as a really important value. And, and it is important, obviously. But what, what, what's really being talked about with interconnectedness is a kind of material interflow 
um, of of um, or porousness of of the of the material, the air that moves you know in and out of my body, the food, the, the sense of porousness and non-separation, interconnectedness at a material level, at a horizontal, at one level. And we talk a lot, um, both in ecology and in Dharma, of course, about origins and causes. But those origins and causes of this, of, of nature or this tree or this ecosystem um, are uh, regarded horizontally. They're on the same level as they exist now. In other words, material, um, uh, material entities or whatever, in the usual sense, um, in the past, usually, the origins of course always thought about in the past, typically, um, on, on the same level, on the horizontal level, uh, co- caused um, are the origin and cause of, of, of nature now, of this thing now, of this ecosystem now. So there's interconnectedness is um, both temporal over, over time, as I said, from the past to the present, and also spatial. So I'm connected with... Um, you know, through air and food and everything, trees breathe and all that. Uh, temporal and spatial interconnected, but it's horizontal. It's not. There's there's an absence of the vertical uh, dimension from uh, from the conversation, at least, if not from the um, if not from the sense. So something like. Joanna Macy's um, beautiful teachings and one of her teachings about deep time and um, uh, it could be you know the sense of um, someone says look at your hand and see how that's evolved from um, I can't remember I remember doing it but I don't remember the specific uh, you know was it fish fish fins or pterodactyl wings or um, the the important point is that the, the, the connection through time and uh, deep time, um, what she calls deep time, in other words, actually just very, very long time, um, or potentially can be interpreted that very, very long time, in you know, mechanisms of evolution, that this hand is somehow connected with um, all those other material instantiations of, of biology. So that's one way of um, relating to and hearing that kind of teaching that she has. Um, but compare that with a sense of um, this material thing, whether it's my hand or a tree or nature or the environment, whatever, um, it echoes, compared, rather than horizontal, say, what about saying it echoes um, or is an image of the divine? I see and perceive and sense echoes and images of the divine, or, the, or um, in, in what I love, in this object, in nature. Um, nature as echo or image, expression of the divine. And that has a, a more vertical sense to it. The material um, reflects, as I said, or expresses um, divine dimensions. And some people say, might use the language of the, the source or the root, and being um, in in divinity or in divinities or archetypes or Im- divine images, the source of this nature, so to speak, is in the divine or in some divine image. Now that use of the word source uh, is not absolutely not uh, a. It's not an explanation. 
uh, and B, it's not temporal. I say this uh, tree or nature has its source in the divine, its roots in the divine, its feet in the divine, as some people say in some traditions. Um, that's not an explanation. It's not something, as we usually think, God created the earth at time zero. Or um, It's not a temporal and it's not explanation. It's some. It's rather. It's a way of seeing. It's a poetic sense, a poetic sensibility. And the more the eros is allowed to do its work and to have its dynamic, um, that way of sensing things, that way of looking at things, that poetic sensibility, will um, will open up. It will come from the eros and. Um, and bring with it more and more soulfulness, infusing uh, the psyche and infusing the sense of the, the object, the world, nature. So infinite possibilities here, infinite possibilities of discovery and creation, both. Uh, it's open. Sometimes um, this sense of horizontal interconnectedness, as much as um, Buddhists, and particularly Buddhist um, Engaged Buddhists tend to emphasize it. Sometimes people talk about that, have a sense of it a lot, and sometimes it's not enough. Um, either not enough for the psyche and the fullness and richness of what the psyche really wants, or not enough for to, to support um, and stimulate um, or catalyze engagement. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.